Some of the cops at the church. With all these cops standing outside. What the, a Is that a fucking cow on the street? <laughs> Some kind of cow. Wait, 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 wait. Yo, dude. What is that? Dude, check it out. It's David Lynch. Oh my god, is that <laughs> fucking David fuck? Lynch? What is this for your what? consideration? Is he doing a promo on something? What the fuck is David Lynch doing? He's just sitting He's on the just fucking corner in Hollywood. Hollywood. With a fucking cow! <laughs> Good morning. It's October 27, and it's a Thursday. Here in LA, it's going to be 74 degrees with those blue skies and that golden sunshine all along the way. Today, I'm thinking about the podcast, I Think You'd Be Into It, which is hosted by Brandon Beck and Beth Scortazzo. Because oh, cool, today thanks. their guest is Flourish Clink, co-host of the Fan Splaining podcast, and their topic of discussion is me, David Lynch. Everyone, have a pleasant morning. Hi, everybody. Welcome to I Think You'd Be Into It. That was uh, weather correspondent David Lynch. Uh, I'm your host, Brandon Beck. I'm your other host, Beth Scorzato, despite my husband mispronouncing my name in his bit. <laughs> And uh, we're, we're here today uh, with the I Think You'd Be Into It Morning Zoo crew. Um, our guest today is uh, the co-host of the Fansplaining podcast and just a generally uh, cool, fun person, Flourish Clink. Flourish, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you for joining us to discuss America's favorite weirdo. Actually, I don't know if he's American. He feels like one of those people that's like secretly Canadian, but I don't know. Uh, he, was, he was born in Missoula, Montana. He is American. All right, so yeah, America's favorite weirdo, <laughs> which is about the most American place to be born, right? If if you if that's even possible, um, but before we get into our favorite uh, gray-haired weirdo, um, we're gonna talk about some things we're Maybe, into. This- again, even that great, we talked about this that he can't be because also I feel like I confuse him and David Byrne, who is another America's favorite gray-haired weirdo. Mm-hmm. Actually, speaking of... He's a secret Canadian. Uh, no, he's secretly Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fucking know, dude. <laughs> They're all tall, skinny, gray-haired weirdos. Yep. But uh, speaking of tall, skinny, gray-haired weirdos named David, um, the thing I'm into this week is the filmed version of David Byrne's American Utopia. Yeah! Which, yeah, right? I, I saved this one specifically because I knew you'd seen it. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it on tour and I saw it um, in, on Broadway and I have not yet seen the filmed version because I'm cheap and I don't have HBO Max, but I'm considering <laughs> getting it just for this. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, DM you my password. Uh, you can just watch it on, on our account yeah, later. Say, we could just show, you could just watch it on ours. That's fine. But yeah, he Whee! saw it multiple times as well and I've <laughs> seen it zero times. Although according to him, he's going to make me watch it one night. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Much, much as I, uh, much as you made the mistake at the top of quarantine uh, as a way to retain some normalcy to let me pick a movie every night, and within two days I picked Cats. Um, <gasps> it was yeah. the first one he picked, and he was very open about the fact that that's what he was going to do. But mm. he was having a really hard time at the beginning of this. Not that he's not <laughs> having a hard time now. Not that no one's having, everybody's having a hard time, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure even that justifies Cats. Uh, I mean, you know, cats justifies really itself. <laughs> cats justifies itself, um, and and if doesn't, if, <laughs> the problem with um, cats. But yeah, so David uh, David Burns. I almost said David Lynch's American Utopia, which is yeah, a completely see? different thing. Exactly. <laughs> um, so David Burns' American Utopia is uh, the new movie by David Byrne, uh, directed by Spike. Lee. I almost said Spike Jones. No, um, different, different Spike. <laughs> which would be admittedly just as interesting. Maybe not as coherent, <laughs> but just as interesting. Um, but it, it's the it's the filmed version of the Broadway version of the tour that he did a couple years ago 
for his album American Utopia, where uh, nobody in the band is ever sitting. Everyone basically has their instruments on like marching band harnesses. So like everybody's moving around with like, you know, a drum kit thing on their shoulder or like a standing keyboard. Um, and it's, it's a really good collection of his new stuff and some talking heads stuff kind of redone, uh, with this new band. And, uh, the choreography is incredible. Um, the 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 movement and the music it, it all really works together to make this really, really interesting, very timely, uh, surprisingly political uh, piece. That uh, when I saw the like touring version was the best concert I'd ever seen twice. <laughs> um, and the the movie is a really interesting adaptation of the the stage show uh that sometimes loses the the bigger stage picture but uh is doing its own cinematic thing that captures it really well it honestly like calling it stop making sense part two is uh seems a little reductive but that's kind of what it feels like i was gonna say like one of the things that excited me when i heard about the project was like wow, Stop Making Sense is so iconic to me, but obviously I was a child and could not go to that tour. Yes. <laughs> and I really wish I had gotten the chance. And now I'm so excited to have that opportunity to be like, I was I was there. I saw all the versions of this. <sighs> yes, ex- exactly. I, I had wow, seen him. Somebody's so excited to be that dude that wasn't Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I regret to inform you that I am definitely that dude. <laughs> I am I mean, so it's fine. much that dude. <laughs> It's fine. And and I say that in an incredibly gender neutral way cuz oh, there yeah. is we all know who that, that dude, dude is. Oh yeah. Also you you married that dude so I don't feel I know a I did. I know what I've chosen. That is very true. I just meant I just meant being so excited about it. Congratulations. Is, I'm happy for that you. That is very true. Um, I'm happy for you that you know exactly who you are. Good for you. <laughs> you know, I I had uh, I had seen uh Mr. Byrne, uh, about a decade ago when he did his tour for the last David Byrne, Brian Eno record, mm-hmm. um, which was the, the record was fine. The tour was real good, but felt like the dry run for this, um, which was, which was interesting to see it sort of evolve. Um, Flourish, are you a, 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 a deep talking heads fan? I'm not sure. I mean, I always hesitate to say deep because like, sure. You know, I mean, but I, I'm I am a I am a significant Talking Heads fan. I, I love the Talking Heads. Um, but, but you know, again, like you're talking to the person who literally is on a quest to read every Star Trek novel ever written. So my definition of what a deep fan is is often like, it's it's over there. You know, <laughs> so oh, I never totally. know how to answer these questions. I can't I can't like recite all of the discography or something. That's that's, okay. that's fair. We are not. We the whole point of this show is that nobody you nobody has to be an expert. You just have to like things. Well, exactly. In in that regard, I certainly am a deep Talking Heads fan because they're the <laughs> yes. bomb. They really are. Um, so yeah, uh, American Utopia is now on HBO Max. So that's my thing for the week. Uh, Beth or Flourish, if uh, either of you have something. Why are you into Beth? I feel like we just talked about that. So like now you have. That's to. true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's fine. Um, we just watched Ted Lasso, and it's charming. <laughs> It's really charming. Um, uh, Jason Sudeikis is playing like a little against type and that he's playing like a, an incredibly earnest dude um, without being sarcastic. And um, it's on Apple TV Plus, so people's mileage may vary on this and whether or not to watch it. But I kept seeing a lot of people I know online being like, it's really good. It's really charming. It's so much better than I thought. And even though it's about like sports, and I mean, it's sort of about sports, but it's not really. Um, it's mostly about the mustache. Know. It, it's a little bit about the mustache. It was just, it was incredibly <laughs> earnest and really charming. And uh, it just got renewed for like two more seasons. So good for them. That's what I was into this week. That's great. I feel like this is a moment where you need charming. Yeah, right? It was really good. It's funny to see Jason Sudeikis playing basically a character that Jack McBrayer would have played like 10 years ago. Um, but like And not it as like comedically better. broad. Yeah. 
I I do enjoy Jack McBrayer, but I feel like his specific thing is just like playing one character, and like this guy Ted Lasso has a lot more depth than anything I've ever seen Jack McBrayer do. Not that there's anything wrong with character actors or that. That's just I don't know. I thought that Jason Sudeikis did a really good job, and it was a really well written show, and it was really earnest and. Uh, really charming and funny and uh had a lot of heart and i uh i enjoyed it and i'm glad it got renewed of course it'll be like forever till it's out because nobody's allowed to shoot anything but it's the principle of the thing yeah stay tuned for ted lasso season two in 2025 <laughs> <laughs> pretty much so, so that's what i'm into it, it's really i always i've always enjoyed uh jason sudeikis and even going back to like the 30 Rock days when he was playing uh, Floyd and was just sort of playing like a normal guy. It, it's it's He's always been a way better like actor than he sort of gets the, uh, you know, um, potential to be on, you know, he, he just doesn't get to show it too often. From being on SNL and stuff, he doesn't he doesn't get as much credit as an actor, but he's a very good actor. Yeah. Like between this or like... Uh, he did a movie with Allison Brie a couple years ago that I can't for the life of me remember what it's called. But he was oh, basically p- cool, fun. Guess what? Guess who's back? Oh, it's no. the guys in the courtyard. Hey guys, it's seven thirty in the morning here, and that is the time in which our building chooses to do courtyard work. Seven thirty in the morning on a Thursday. I didn't think of that when we agreed to do this, but so if anybody <laughs> hears some uh, lawn work going on in the back of this, oh, no. that's why, because they're about to be right near our window, which I hate deeply and like. I've been that person. I've written several notes to building management about this, that 7.30 a.m. is too early to be using weed whackers and, like, leaf blowers, like, 10 feet away from our fucking window. I'm so mad. Oh, my God. <laughs> you have... I can, like... It, I, I, I can't even see you, and I can feel your laser eyes. I'm so yeah. mad. Every Thursday, my day gets ruined because I get so stressed out when I go to sleep because I know I'm going to get woken up at 7.30 in the morning by the lawnmower because we live right on a courtyard. So, like, when I say 10 feet from my head, I'm, like, not kidding. It's, like, right outside the window. Is this better? Because you're already awake. No, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's not because the principle still stands. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not just me. I've talked to other people in the building about this, all right, guys? 7.30 in the morning is too early for lawn work. So what you're saying is, this, is the thing you're into this week is, like, time boundaries. No, the thing I'm into this week is still Ted Lasso, um, because <laughs> I've been against this lawn work thing for many, 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 many weeks. That's that's very true. Um, uh, Flourish, what about you? Uh, well, you know, on the subject of needing charming things to get us through this hell week, uh, I am, I mean, I'm always into Harry Styles, but this week I'm especially into Harry Styles' new music video, Golden, which is literally just like, there is no plot, there is no nothing, it's one of those like slow lip syncing, you know, like lip syncing and then it's been slowed down or whatever it is to the camera, and he's just, it's just him being charming in a really annoying way, but an annoying way that I love. You know, it's oh, yeah, like, where you're just like, oh, you're so cute. I want to punch you in the face. Yeah. And like, you're so self-satisfied. You know how cute you are. And I hate that. But also, I'm totally beguiled by it. I mean, yeah. I just needed that. It's like, y'all are talking about me. <laughs> he, was a, he was a One Direction, babe. He was. Possibly Harry Styles is also one of those that dudes. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, we've gotten so many guests who when we've asked them Hey, do you want to show do do the show? Uh, one of the first responses is always like, hmm, "I could do One Direction." Uh, <laughs> has happened more than anyone else, and happened literally yesterday with another guest. We're try- we just booked. We already did One Direction with Wit. Everyone loves One Direction. That's true. How do you not love One Direction? We were ahead of the curve. I think we did One Direction back in like 2017. When they were still, you know, <laughs> teens or whatever. <laughs> well, anyway, Harry Styles being charming is exactly what I needed. It's like the only good thing that happened this week. Did you see the the thing that popped on Twitter uh, where his car broke down? Yes. At like a fan's <gasps> house and they were gone. <sighs> and, the, and, they, and 
their dad tweeted like, hey, Harry came by. I took a picture and he left you a note. <laughs> he fed oh, Harry like his car broke down. Dude invited him in for like a glass of water or whatever while AAA came. And he like fed this girl's fish and signed her album and left a note. And there's a picture of him feeding her fish in her bedroom. And if Harry Styles had come into my home when I was not here, I would spontaneously combust. Right? I don't know what I would like. I cannot imagine the emotional journey this girl has been on. Like, it's too much. And like, I, 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 uh, like we said, I'm not, not super deep on One Direction, but like, I saw that picture of, of Harry in her room just, like, standing by the, like, dresser. And I was like, oh, my God, I get it now. He's a fucking yeah, human being. Yeah, you know what? I bet you yeah. she's uh, pretty pleased with herself that she didn't have a poster up now. Because that would have been embarrassing. That's true. <laughs> that is so true. That would not have occurred to me if, it's like, like... It's a fine needle to thread. Because you're like, oh, my God, Harry Styles in my house. But also, oh, my God, Harry Styles in my house and sees the poster I have of him on my wall are two very different feelings. Oh, man. I used to have... I used to have the full-size... I used to have the full-size standee. Like, that would have but been, like, like beyond. They're two different feelings is the yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. No, they are. They are. It's also a little bit like the opening to a fanfic. So that's the other piece of it, right? Oh yeah, it's definitely like... the opening of a YA novel. Yeah. Oh yeah, there are there are at least fifty stories on Ao3 that that start with Harry's car broke down outside of my house. <laughs> but like, it's definitely the opening to a YA novel, um, and it's uh, also definitely, I think, the opening to I think one of the original Disney original movies. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. I think that's it was called true. Rock in the Suburbs. It's got like <laughs> young Brenda Song and like another girl and something about like a rock star who comes to their town and gets stranded or something. Excellent. I swear to god, I'm not explaining this well, but I promise that this is basically the plot of a Disney Channel original movie from the early two thousands. Cause like with with a, with a scenario like this, it, it can go one of three ways. It can go the delightful uh, movie for tweens route, it can go the fun romance route, or it can turn into misery <laughs> uh, by Stephen King starring Kathy Bates. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, but now that we've talked about some of our other favorite tall weirdos, let's talk about our favorite tall weirdo of all, Mr. David Lynch. Yeah! Yeah! He's the best! <laughs> he He's really my favorite. is. He's so good. He is a pure soul. He really is. I... Okay, so how did how did you discover uh, uh, Mr. Lynch? Okay, so... So... I, okay, I have lots of feelings about David Lynch. My oh, yeah. dad Thank is... God. My, my, da- <laughs> my dad is really <laughs> into weird movies of all sorts. And so, like, when I was a kid, we didn't have a TV. We never went to the movies, none of this. And I later found out this was because my dad only likes weird movies and he does not like the selection at a local blockbuster. So, um, <laughs> I think I like your dad. Yeah. So, there was, so we literally, when Netflix came around, he suddenly started getting all of these movies from Netflix and like ripping them so that he now has like a giant collection of ripped like DVDs of like weird movies only. Did you know you can still technically get a DVD in the mail from Netflix? No. Yeah, yeah I think so. You can still technically get a DVD in the mail from Netflix. Well, someone tell my dad because he's pissed off because now like Netflix streaming doesn't have all these things, which to him fully justifies ripping all this stuff. Oh, totally. He, he would be he would be completely mad at me if he knew that I had told someone about this, but he's never going to listen to this <laughs> podcast, so it's fine. I hope he does never listen to this podcast. Oh, yeah. I shit talk my mom on here all the time. Um, anyway, <laughs> he actually might, he's, he's very online <laughs> anyway. Um, sorry, dad. Um, but point being, he introduced me to David Lynch. There was a point when I was a teenager, when I think my parents realized like I had not seen anything and I needed to be like shown things. And so he like had me watch Mulholland drive or something like that, which I think was pretty new at the time. And wild um, choice. Yeah. I don't know why that was the choice. It was a wild For choice. A child. How old were well, you? No, I was a teenager. I mean, to me, my parents okay. also did not have, I would say the greatest grasp on like when to allow their children to watch or read things. <laughs> so Clearly. like I watched the X-Files when I was like nine or 10. And like, this was like a thing I did with my mom. Cause my mom thought Scully was a good feminist role model. So like that was the level on which we were operating. I mean, that's chill and not entirely wrong. 
It's completely horror, though. Like, I don't think I would like. I don't know that I would be thrilled about a nine-year-old. Have you watched the X Files recently? It's it's. I don't know about that for nine. <laughs> There's a lot of. <laughs> Not in a few years, but I also was, like, one, not a horror kid, and two, also, like, I don't know. It's one of those things where we get so worked up about, like, the media we show kids, but, like, think that... Yeah. Think, but it's funny because, like, we get really hung up on, like, visual stuff, whereas, like, I was reading Piers Anthony when I was, like, nine, (laughs) and, like... I've just been rereading the Zant series, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was reading this when I was nine. The whole, like, first three chapters is about how Bink is a fucking incel. Whatever. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, whatever. I was, like, 16 by this point. So it was not that weird. And, like, this was also the point at which my dad was trying to get me into James Joyce. Like, it was, like, he was, like, I think that he was just, like, waiting for me to get old enough that he could legitimately, like, make me read and watch all the things he cares about. So anyway, I was not into it at the time. I like didn't get it. It was like very like visually inspiring to me, but I had no idea what the fuck was going on and I didn't have any emotional connection. And I didn't really get into David Lynch until way later, until I was like 22 and I saw Twin Peaks for the first time and I was like, "Oh, this is my shit." And then and then I watched all the rest of Lynch and it was crazy because I was like, "How did I like It's not that, I mean, I think I might've seen a couple of other Lynch things, but I was never really like, I didn't get it, get it, you know? And then I was like, wow, obviously, like if I am the kind of person who, like one of my favorite books is Wittgenstein's Mistress by David Markson. If you ever read that book, you're like, oh yeah, that's a person who's going to fucking love Inland Empire. You know, (laughs) like it is, that is the person you are, right? And so anyway, but, but what was interesting about was I realized that I had just like, I think that I hadn't had the right lead into it. And I think that one of the biggest problems people have with Lynch is that people like, they see things like Eraserhead or something and they're like, absolutely not. But then they're missing like big chunks of the other stuff that's good in Lynch. And in his greatest stuff, you sort of have to see all of that, all of that breadth. And then like when you get to something that's really weird, then suddenly you can understand it because you've seen all of the other stuff that he's playing with. And you're like, oh, I have some context, you know? I do have to um give my mom a quick shout out here who... I have to assume she'll be done by the time this actually airs, but as we record this, has been casually just, like, watching Twin Peaks as a thing to watch with no, like, context or whatever, and will occasionally just text me about how weird she finds it. (laughs) (laughs) I got an unsolicited text yesterday that I have not responded to because I wasn't sure how that just said, oh... David Duchovny just walked in as a woman FBI agent. This show is so wild. <laughs> and like, she's not wrong. I just don't know how to respond. Because is he? Is he? Di- is this Diane? Is that who Diane is? No, no, that is not Diane. <laughs> no, Diane is Laura Dern. My uh, my largest context on Twin Peaks is the um psych parody episode called dual spires which like a lot of the cast is in and that's like the most i know about twin peaks oh my god it's based oh my on god, the plot of this psych episode so like the thing with twin peaks right is i mean i think that twin peaks is one of the good intros to david lynch i actually think the other good intro is the straight it seems story like a thing i'd be into i just i'm so tied to twin spires now that i'm just like <laughs> wait is this who this guy is <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean i think it would be fun so like the thing about twin peaks right is that um it is a parody of a soap opera. And so if you like have watched a lot of TV and you go into it, like no one ever tells you this, that it's all a soap opera, but it is a soap opera fundamentally. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so you start watching it and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. This is a soap opera. And then eventually you get to a point where you're like, wait, this is a soap opera that is also an incredibly searing portrayal of like abuse. One of the most like emotionally moving, horrifying, like, like if you were triggered by sexual assault, do not watch Twin Peaks. You can't do it. No. Get out, get like, because the thing is like some people, some people feel like it's misogynist for this reason. And I absolutely don't think that because I think it's just very honest and very horrifying and how honest it is about like the way humans can be shitty to each other. But there's also this core of sweetness, which is one of the great things about David Lynch is that he has this like incredible vision of the worst of humanity. But then he also has this awareness of this just completely sunny, beautiful aspect of humanity and the two things put together are this hyper real, like crazy experience that is somehow also more true to what life is actually like emotionally than anything I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. He's got this really he's got this way of of just showing you images that are uh, that are at one at the same time, like 
just very real and very true and also very uncanny and very like very dreamlike in a way that like no one else really manages to capture and like it seems like part of it is that like the easy thing you could say is just like oh it's just David Lynch he's being weird but like it sometimes feels like he is not even fully like he he knows what he's what he's saying and what he's making but he doesn't he's never like oh I fully understand what all this means he's very honest about like you know this is this just something about this feels right yeah you know something about this feels feels honest and feels you know I might not get it but that's you know it's not my job to explain to you what what this means you know it's just my David Lynch's job is to make it right right and I think that one of the hard things for a lot of people coming into this and one of the reasons like I said that I encourage people to start with either Twin Peaks or The Straight Story, which was his family. It was his Disney movie, his family film. Yeah. Um, is because It's I rated G, isn't it? <laughs> it's rated G and it is, it is, it's, it is uncomplicated and beautiful. Um, and the, the thing I feel about these two is that they both are a little bit more like a real movie or a real TV show in the sense that they have plots. Yes. And like, you know, and they and they do things that you would expect, right? So like in the straight story, you know what kind of a story it is and it ends up being that story. It's a picaresque basically, right? And in Twin Peaks it's a soap opera and so lots of weird shit happens, but it's still fundamentally a soap opera. That I'm not ta- talking about the return. I'm talking about the original Twin Peaks. And you can kind of hang on to that. Yeah, so say the, the the return throws any pretense of being a TV show out the fucking Oh, completely. Window. Oh. But but the thing is that like I think that one of the most I think that it is really destabilizing for people and I think that most Holland Drive, actually, one of the reasons that it is something that is most critically acclaimed for him is that it's one of his movies that is more like a movie than, like, mm-hmm. if you compare it to Inland Empire or Lost Highway, the two movies he made on either side, Mulholland Drive is more like a movie. You can sort of see that it's a movie, right? Whereas Inland yeah. Empire, you're just like, what are these fucking videotapes someone shot? That's the shape of a movie. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. And I think that it's really hard for people who are not, like, who aren't already in, like, there's already a lot to get over with just like his vision of the world. Right. So like, let's not make it harder by also adding in the weird shit. (laughs) Yeah. I I think too, the, the fact that David Lynch's like public persona is this very, you know, I saw an interview with Laura Dern where she was talking about the, he's like, like obsessed with her. It's very funny. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. But I mean, who who is? I mean, in fairness, I'm also obsessed with Laura Dern, but in a different way. Yeah. Um. But she said something like, you know, it's he makes these, you know, the the scenes that he puts together in his films. You know, the the imagery that he creates is so can be so dark and so disturbing and blunt and and honest and weird. But then he's just like, cut. Oh, howdy doody. That was, oh, that was keen. All right, tidbit. Let's do another one. That'll be swell. And it's just like, I think that he does contradiction call her tidbit is, for yeah, he does call yeah. her tidbit. And, and I, I think it's that contradiction that makes him so interesting is because he's not like, I think you would think he would be like Crispin Glover, you right. know, just like weird, like broody art guy. But he's just like, no, I'm I'm making my movie and it's fun and now I'm going to do a weather report. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's and that's apparently how he actually is. So I work in the film industry oh, yeah. and I can't like I can't substantiate the story because it's like a friend of a friend story. But I heard from a friend that his friend had been David Lynch's assistant and he told this amazing story, which is David Lynch, as you might guess, doesn't give a shit about cars most of the time, right? Sure. So he's like, whatever, he's been driving, like it's a fine car. It's a it's a car that exists. You need a, you need a car in LA, doesn't care, right? And However, do you remember when those like really boxy square um, SUVs came out? The ones that were like super boxy that looked just like a square on wheels. You remember those? They still exist. They're the the Nissan Cube. There we go. So, okay. When those first came out, apparently David Lynch saw one and fell in love. And so he (laughs) made his assistant at the time, I guess he didn't have a working car or something. Anyway, his assistant had to go with him to the dealership. And David Lynch walked in and said, I am going to buy a Nissan Cube, and here's the amount I will pay for it. And it was something like absurdly low. It was like absurdly low, like way too low. So low that there was no way that the dealership could sell it to him. I obviously says like, I'm sorry, sir. Like that's not, you know, if that's your price range, 
then maybe I could offer you some used cars or something. You know, I'd be like, what do you say to that? Right. Also, you know, it's David Lynch because it's David Lynch. So like, how do you negotiate this situation? Apparently David Lynch just said, no, I will be paying that price and sat there all day. And eventually they gave it and gave it to him (laughs) because he literally sat there for like, you know, 14 hours or something. Like I said, I can't corroborate this story, but like, I mean, it just seems so real. If that, I if that it. is not if if that is not actually true, there's a truism to that story. <laughs> right? Like anyway, like, I love that. <laughs> oh yeah, or like uh when he was trying to get uh there's another Laura Dern thing for I forget which movie of his, but he was uh pushing Laura Dern as uh or maybe it was Naomi Watts, come to think of it. Uh I think yeah, I think it might have been Naomi Watts actually for uh Mulholland Driver and Lynn Empire, uh to like promote her to get an Oscar, he just sat on a street corner in a chair with a cow in front of a, like, hey, vote for either Laura Dern or Naomi Watts for uh, the Oscar. And then just, like, hung out all day with a cow <laughs> smoking cigarettes on on the street corner, just, like, chilling and chatting with people. Yeah, you know yeah. what, though, for L.A., that's actually not a bad for your consideration campaign. It's really not. It's really good. Pick the right street yeah. corner, you know? Yeah, right? Uh, man, yeah. No, but I, I think, I mean, there is that there is that beautiful, like, sweetness to him, right? And the straightforwardness. And, like, you see it in his characters, right? Obviously, people, people talk about it the most with um, Agent Cooper, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, Naomi Watts has it in Mulholland Drive, for sure. And yeah. It's, it's just, it's sort of woven throughout this like incredible innocence. Um, but also like, I love, I don't know. The other thing about it is I think that like, I know I keep talking about this as though you sort of need to be a frog who's boiled in David Lynch. And I do kind of <laughs> feel like you need to be sort of a frog who's boiled just because he's inviting you into this craziness. But also like, you need to have a certain idea of the things that are set before he can break them. Right. So with Twin you Peaks, the rituals. Yeah. yeah. Like one of the, I think personally, I think Twin Peaks, the return is maybe the greatest television series that has ever been made. And the reason I think it's the greatest is that it just looks at what TV is doing and it's like, absolutely fucking not. I am going to give you emotions that TV doesn't give you. Like yeah. part of it is, um, so you, when you come into Twin Peaks, the return, you're expecting Cooper and he doesn't give you Cooper. He gives you this weird ass thing that is clearly not Cooper. Right. Like he gives you lots of different things played by the actor who plays Cooper, but he doesn't give you Cooper. He refuses. He withholds. He wasn't doing it. It gets so frustrating. It becomes enraging. And then you get through the rage and you're like, wow, I guess I'm just here now. And it's so long. And it's just this like emotional experience. And it's the complete opposite of like appointment premiere HBO TV, right? Like you never see it. It's like the opposite of the Sopranos where everything is like, Oh, you know, there's gotta be a, you've got to have something that rewards you all the time. You've got to have something that's great, you know? And I mean, this makes it sound terrible, but it's not terrible. It's just, it's an exploration in a direction that we don't normally let ourselves go with TV. Yeah. It's, it was, it was really interesting. And I think too, the fact that there was like, 20 plus years maybe even closer to 30 yeah it was uh but be- yeah between uh because the the first season of twin peaks aired in what the early 90s i yep. believe mm-hmm. um I like they 90, did two, something like that say, but i could be wrong yep um they did two seasons uh from what my understanding of it is that lynch wasn't heavily involved in season two um but then they did a prequel movie Firewalk with me uh which is like that's the first part of it that feels like full on David Lynch. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so it's interesting, right? Because Firewalk with me is like it's this it's this it is even much more than than Twin Peaks. It's a portrait of abuse. And then by the time you yeah. get to like right, it's like it is just about um Laura Palmer being yeah. abused. That's what it's in about. a way that's like crushing and really difficult to watch. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. So the other thing is it's Mark Frost who put in all of those sort of my understanding, I guess I wasn't there, but it, it seems really clear that it's Mark Frost who put in all those plot bits. And what's interesting sure. with Twin Peaks, the return is you, they split 
Mark Frost off from David Lynch. So Mark Frost wrote this companion novel, which reads like an updated X-Files. And it's like, I'm not sure it's very good, but it's interesting because it's got all of the plot and stuff that you would lard around the David Lynchian bits. Sorry, but then that's my favorite kind of critique of anything. I'm not sure it's good, but it's interesting. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, it is. And you read it and it's like, okay, well, this now sort of makes sense of what's going on with the FBI and like all of these things and so on that does not make sense at all if you just watch the television show. But it's also like very clearly like, yeah, that was what Mark Frost brought. I mean, in fairness, just about everything Mark Frost does is some kind of weird FBI fanfic. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's exactly that. It's so much that, right? It's so much that. And so it's funny because you really then see, like, when you go back and watch Twin Peaks, you're like, oh, I see what, what Mark Frost brought in here and what David Lynch brought, you know? It's totally. so clear because the two things are just like, it's like they, you know, they just managed to separate them back out again for the return. Yeah, and, like, the thing you were saying about how uh, the return, like, goes out of its way to withhold uh, the thing you want, which is Kyle MacLachlan as Agent Cooper. Hungarian goulash. Um, as Hungarian goulash. Uh, which, <laughs> we'll explain that later, sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll explain that Why? later. Uh, which, uh, you'll, which he's really been doing since Fire Walk With Me, because, like, Cooper's only in that for, like, three minutes. Yep. And it's this weird, like... It's the character that you've been so focused on and was such a good way into this, like, really, like, dark, you know, intense emotional world that, like, the moment, you know, it went full Lynch, he's like, well, I'm going to take that away from you and it'll be 30 years. And now you got to <laughs> wait several decades and then 10 episodes of Dougie. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it is. And that's the other thing that makes it so anticipated, right, is that in the original Twin Peaks, like Laura says, I'll see you in 25 years. And so it's like one of the few real-time sequels that was actually fully stated in the original. And yeah. and it happened 25 years later and you're just going, holy shit, this is like, this feels like this is a real real-time sequel. This is not just like we made the movie and then we wanted to cash in. I mean, I, I'm sure that like, there, I mean, I'm sure that he didn't know he was going to be making this at that time. But at the same time, like, everybody was wondering, you know? But at the same time, you know that he was hoping he was going to be making yeah, it. Yeah! It just, ah, it's so good! Yeah, you, you don't say, I'll see you in 25 years. He did not plan it, but he didn't <laughs> know that he was planning it. Seriously. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is this really illustrates for me too, and this is like a slight aside because it's not really about David Lynch, but it illustrates for me one of the good things about streaming services because in this case, like, you know, it was, on, what was it on? It was on Showtime? Showtime, yeah. So Showtime at the time, like their whole goal with this was just to get more subscribers. And so it didn't matter if it infuriated you. They just needed to get yeah. you to sign up to see it and then they had achieved their goal and that was great and it was worth giving David Lynch the opportunity to basically create a, you know, uh, a 10 hour movie right oh, and yeah. so he had the ability to be frustrating and annoying and terrible and i love that you know you couldn't have done that yeah. on network tv that's not possible oh absolutely the, um the there's that one episode it's i think i think it's the exact midpoint of the return and it's where i stopped i i, I wasn't able to i i didn't finish it at the time and i've been meaning to go back um but i oh, also man. had the I also had the flu when I was watching it, oh, which shit. was like a wild, a wild choice. You're, you're, you're talking about the one which is Pendereki and it's just a meditation on the atom bomb? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like... Here's the, the, the movie. Yep. Halfway, halfway through uh, the return, it, the return just kind of stops and there's this weird black and, and white... It just becomes the we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, this literally. Weird, yeah, it's he so good. Zoom, he zooms into a nuclear bomb explosion for eight straight minutes with Penderecki in the background. So you're just yeah. like watching visuals. It's just visual. Yeah, and it, it is. It's already after this like meditation on like what the nature of evil actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, and in a way that, in a very Lynchian way, is never stated. <laughs> you just got to kind of like. You get it in your gut that like, oh, this is like about primal, like primordial evil. <laughs> this sounds a little bit like, and I don't mean this as like a bad thing or a joke. It sounds a little like the Fire Ant episode of Space Coast Coast to Coast. It <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> but it's just watch him follow a Fire Ant for like eight minutes. 
Oh, not, not even yeah, eight, like yeah. 20. <laughs> no, this is, it is, I don't know if you fit, it got to the end, but it is the entire hour long episode is an art film mm-hmm. about this. Like it is the whole episode. There is no, nothing moves forward in the plot. If there is a plot of the return, it doesn't happen. It's just, it's just an entire hour where he's like, now that I have you captured. Yeah. You know, and the, I will tell you one thing, which is that it does not continue in that vein. It goes back to being a little more plotty. You do eventually get to see Cooper. So oh, you, he does, it does eventually happen. It, he doesn't, he doesn't completely, you know, deny you the entire time, but That's it takes good. a long time and it's great and you have to watch it. <laughs> oh yeah. Plus the, 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 uh, the return has a lot of uh, David Lynch himself as uh, FBI agent Gordon Cole, who's yep. just David Lynch if his hearing was worse, <laughs> and he yelled all the time. And I, how do, doesn't he already? He does, oh, but even like more. It, even even more so. Like he's like he was playing it up back in the '90s, but like now it's just like, oh, that's an old man who can't hear so great, just yelling all his lines, and I <laughs> love it. He's so good. He's he's also another like. He's another one of those characters who brings that sweetness. And you really need that when you don't have Cooper, um, you know? Oh, totally. Oh, totally. Because um, Dale Cooper was very much the the heart of Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah. Um, aside from sort of being your, the, the Lynchian equivalent of a, like, audience surrogate. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, which which means something completely different than it would on most other shows. Yes. Um. But like, yeah, he, he he's the most he feels like the most TV ready part of the series. And I think a lot of that has to do with Kyle MacLachlan's performance where he's mm-hmm. taking a lot of in the hands of a lesser actor. The character of Dale Cooper could be just either dull or like just feel like a series of like affectations and, mm-hmm. and like like, you know, less interesting molder. But <laughs> there's there's something about there's like. In fairness, Both Mulder an, isn't an, as interesting as an, he thinks he is. That's very true. <laughs> but I love X-Files, like, but... <laughs> Kyle MacLachlan is, is one of those actors that I that I think like Laura Dern and like Naomi Watts um, that, like, is tapped into the David... I almost said David Byrne wavelength. The David See? Lynch... Uh, yeah, right? The, uh, the David Lynch uh, wavelength and, like, can translate that thing into something that, like makes sense emotionally i think it's also that he's just this type that is so not um it's really not common and it's really not the kind of type that gets rewarded in acting right now you know yeah but like david lynch definitely has like a recurring group of collaborators that definitely like get his thing in a way that i think is important um and like Kyle MacLachlan is definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah. David Lynch is David Lynch is also the person who convinced me that Nicolas Cage was a good thing. That's fair. <laughs> you know, That's like Nicolas Cage, I didn't understand why he was a good thing in any way, shape, or form until I saw him in a David Lynch movie. And then I was like, all right, now I think I can see his other movies and give him the fucking benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I, you know, I bet so many people said that exact same thing about Adam Sandler and Punch Drunk Love. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's or true. or uncut gems for that matter, but yeah, probably um, more more so. Punch drunk love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, punch drunk love was also earlier, so it was like that was the sort of like first. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, totally, and, and that that movie still holds up. That movie's that that very much like how Twin Peaks is is a parody of a soap opera. That movie is a parody of a rom com. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes it its own, like, weird, beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like, Lynch very much has that sort of, like, acting company the same way that, like, Wes Anderson does, Mm -hmm. or Kevin Smith does, or, you know, I guess to some degree the way Marvel does, where, like, if it was just them uncut, it'd be a little too much. But when you've got a couple, you know, familiar faces who are... It, it make they, ha, seeing a face like Kyle MacLachlan or like Laura Dern pop mm-hmm. up in something like this. You sort of realize, oh, okay. Even if this gets so like cosmically weird, I'm still going to be able to connect to that's Kyle MacLachlan, right? You know that like I still feel like there's going to be some sort of grounding here, yeah. So it doesn't just become this like full on like Fantasia, 
Yeah, although David Lynch has no such qualms about anything. Like, I mean, I don't know if you've seen all of Rabbits, but like, it blows my mind. He's just like, yeah, we're just gonna like put those rabbit hats on Naomi Watts. And just like, you know, she's just gonna do things in a rabbit hat. You're not gonna know who it is. It'll be fine. Doesn't matter to me. Like, doesn't matter that she's one of the most beautiful women in the world. And like, you know, an incredibly talented actor who does things not in a rabbit suit. She's she's just gonna wear a rabbit suit right now. And that'll be great. You know, yeah. and you're like, okay, okay, David Lynch, you don't give a single shit. <laughs> you know, I love it. All right, keychain. It's time. It's time to put on the rabbit mask again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whatever he, you he, say, boss. Did you know he, sh- he apparently he shot those in his backyard. It's like the stage is set up in his backyard and it drove all of his neighbors bananas because the lights <laughs> were so bright because he was shooting at night to give it the look of the like you know set so they're also all actually outdoors which is extra creepy and weird which you can't tell obviously oh yeah i didn't realize that oh yeah apparently because you can only see the set right but apparently he um rumor has it that he uh he shot this in his backyard outside and he just built the set in his backyard and so save on location costs. wow I mean, that's that, what he does all the time, right? Like when yeah. he shot a racer head, he's just like, whatever, let's just do the thing. you know. I mean, yeah. he shoots his daily, the thing Brandon was doing up top, if you weren't aware, it was the like, oh, yeah. daily <laughs> weather report that. thing he does. Literally, like every day he puts a YouTube video up where he just like tells you what day it is and what the weather is and like talks about occasionally just like we- whatever he's making that day or he'll just like pull a number out of a jar and then tell you that's the number of the day, but give it no context, much like a fortune mm-hmm. cookie. Like, or like tell you about like his divining stick that he made. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's very pure weirdo joy. Like it's, it's like he's, I it's don't just know. It's in his just, art studio. He's like, he doesn't give yeah. a shit. Brandon did that as the thing he was into once. There was a documentary about him recently called The, the Art Life. Um, which was not a very good documentary, but it was fascinating mm. to me because he just takes you all through his house. It's just his house. He doesn't care. See his house. That sounds That's about right. Fine. So, you know, this is his MTV Cribs. It's criteria. I was gonna say it's Criterion it's, Channel Cribs. It's Criterion Cribs. <laughs> exactly. It was totally. I mean, it's like about his art and stuff, but fundamentally, it's IFC Cribs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he, his his whole vibe is very much that like. You know, your really arty friend from high school who, like, made experimental films and, like, made a weird album even though he can't play instruments um, (laughs) that just never stopped doing that and was somehow able to make it into a a career that seems to be both lucrative and, like, critically successful, (laughs) which is a a wild outside the box uh, chance that that happens to anyone. (laughs) Seriously. What a flex, God. Let, let, yeah, let let alone ultimate art weirdo. Seriously. Although I will say that it, it probably helped that like, you know, I mean, Eraserhead. So context, um, there are two David Lynch films that I have not ever finished. Um, one of them is Elephant Man. And I, I just haven't seen it because I haven't seen it because I have like the big sure. green box set of his stuff and it's not in there. And so I'm like, all right, got to find this. Haven't done it yet. But the other thing is um, Eraserhead, which I get to a certain point in and I can't cope. And I've, I've tried multiple times to watch it and I, I cannot finish because it's too sure. scary and horrifying for me. And I think that that was part of it, right, is that he, he came onto the scene with this crazy horror film. And like, I don't have a problem mostly watching horror films. You know what I mean? Like, there's been a couple yeah. that I haven't been able to finish, but it's like, you know, I'm a pretty good horror viewer. And like, this is not. It's. It's troubling. And I feel like if you come on with that, then people are like, oh, yes. And they have to pay attention no matter what else you do next. Oh, totally. It, it's Dune? such. Did he do Dune? He did do Dune. He did do Dune. Dune. He did Dune. Yeah, let's let's talk about Dune <gasps> for a second. Dune Dune might be the nadir of David Lynch from, from everything I've, I've so heard. So it's terrible, but I also love it. Sure. Here's the, here's the problem. I mean, right? it gave us Sting in those shorts. So yeah. Like... So the thing is that like can't be all bad. The big problem with it is that the plot just stops for you to get a bunch of um to get a bunch of exposition all the time. Yeah. That's the real problem with it. In fairness, so does the book. Yeah, yeah I know. Which I is mean, sort of the problem with Dune in general. It's very faithful, but the problem is that literally the action just stops and Kyle McLaughlin tells you a bunch of things in like a really annoying way, and then something cool happens. The thing I love about it is the visuals, because like Everything about the way that those visuals work is so weird and cool. There's just no, I mean, like, literally, like, there are these, like, 
spaceships that are a Rococo frame for a painting. And that's the spaceship. It's like a Rococo frame for a painting hanging in space, like gilded and everything. And you're like, what is that? I don't know. It's something David Lynch fucking came up with. What is this? Why is this? I'm not against it, but why is it happening? Right. And like the way that he did, he used these like digital, like he used this early digital thing to make the shield. Like, so part of it is that everybody has a personal shield, but it can be penetrated by a slow knife cut. So like guns are useless in this world, but there's like the ability, like there's a whole thing about the way that that works, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's inertia based. Yeah. So anyway, um, the slow, the slow blade penetrates the shield. Right. And he uses this like digital thing, which just looks so it's, it look it's completely not real, but it looks so cool. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on? It's great. I love those aspects of it. Have you seen, um, that, that movie was pretty critically and commercially panned because it was a bad movie. Oh yeah. I'm saying I love it, but it was bad. Oh, to, oh, 100%. Um, there's a really interesting documentary uh, called Yodorowsky's Dune, which I talked oh, yeah. about on, on the show a couple you times. You've sure talked about it before. Uh-huh. Which is uh, about this uh, director, Alejandro Yodorowsky, who did, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of his, uh, he did El Topo, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, something about mountains, the Magic Mountain, I don't remember. Yeah, Magic yeah. Mountain's a, a theme park, but uh, he's another sort of like, legendary weirdo yep um who was tapped to do dune before david lynch and they made a documentary about basically how his version of the movie fell apart and it's it's wild to it's really interesting to watch that movie and then like see it fall apart and that the thing that happened from it was the david lynch (laughs) which is also I, i think it's maybe even in the movie where he talks about like when the bad, when the Lynch Dune came out, Yodorowsky was like, oh my God, this is terrible. I feel so relieved. <laughs> well, I think that, I mean, I think that fundamentally the problem, and I don't know this for a fact, but it seems really clear based on like what the problems of the Lynch Dune are, is mm-hmm. that they wanted it, they needed it to be a blockbuster movie. Yeah. And Lynch was doing something cool and weird and crazy. And he, I think, would have like, based on everything else he's ever made, he does not need all of that explanation to be in there. So I'm betting that Lynch's goal within this was let's just shoot all these cool images and like let people fucking figure it out. They can read the fucking book if they want. And studio meddling, as we know, is part of the problem, part of the reason that David Lynch didn't like it. And I feel positive that the studio notes were like, you need to explain it. You need to tell us what this is. You need to tell us about it. You know, I mean, and just like, I mean, if you also keep in context that this was like early 80s, like basically they just wanted somebody to create another Star Wars. Exactly. Right. Does Arrakis have to be a desert? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, I mean that's what, that's clearly what's happening. And I actually, I don't want to see Jodorowsky's Dune. I want to see David Lynch's Dune as David Lynch would have made it, you know? like Oh, yeah. Like, that's what I want to see. And I mean, I'm excited for the new Dune coming out, too, for what it's worth. I'm, I'm very interested to see what it is. I don't think that there's any way that I'm going to love it as much as I love my fantasy of David Lynch's Dune. Oh, most, most definitely. Most <laughs> definitely. Um. Yeah, it's 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 one of those. Have you ever heard his story about uh, meeting George Lucas to uh, when he asked him to direct Return of the Jedi? <laughs> I think so, but tell me again. <laughs> it's it, the, the whole story. I believe is on YouTube, but uh, he's he's uh, Lynch is doing a Q and A somewhere, and somebody asked him about uh, you know, hey, George Lucas wanted you to direct Return of the Jedi. Uh, what happened there? And he tells this story about like. You know, George Lucas invited me up to his place in Marin to, you know, uh, talk to me about this movie. And he's like, so we go up there and he wants to just show me his cars. And so I'm like, okay. so we get in the cars and we drive around and then we go to this restaurant that has these big salads and we eat these giant salads. And my head has started to hurt. And just as the day goes on, I have this headache that gets worse and worse. And then he's telling me about the, like, little bear creatures that we're going to have in the movie. Um, And my headache just gets worse and worse. And I eventually call my – I walk outside to the payphone and call my agent. I'm like, I can't do this. (laughs) But it's it's just this – it's this hilarious story about uh, these these two, like, ultimate, like, 70s, like, 
if you think about like that kind of you know new age of American cinema guys, oh like, yeah, like Lucas and Coppola and Lynch, that whole kind of like crew that was running back then, <laughs> it's just these two utter weirdos being completely themselves at each other and it not and it not working in the slightest and it's such a like a charming delightful story about why that would have been the worst idea in the world for david lynch to make return of the jedi oh my god but i also would love to see david lynch's return of the jedi where where luke where luke is eating a big salad riding around in a car right like i don't i just i i I mean, I think that partially also this part of the problem with this too was that this was early in David Lynch's career. So people didn't know how much of an art weirdo he truly was, right? Like he Absolutely. was off of Elephant Man, which, you know, had all these makeup, uh, you know, it, it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Like they created a new category for it because like, I mean, again, this is the one I haven't seen, right? But like coming off of that, I think there was this, there must've been this idea that like maybe he will like temper himself to do more commercial work. And like, that's where Dune came because Dune was the next one. And that's where the Return of the Jedi offer was. And like my friends, David Lynch constitutionally cannot temper himself to do more commercial work. <laughs> no, he really you know? can. And that's why we love him. Right? I mean, and this is, and then then you got like Wild at Heart and Twin Peaks, which I think were both more like, um, more along the lines of like things that naturally match a little bit with his sensibility. Totally. Because um, like you would think that sci-fi would match, but it doesn't really match as well as you think it does. It, it, that's not really what he's about. He's about Americana, right? Like that's actually oh, what he's about. Even if there's sci-fi bits in it. So, you know. Oh yeah. L- Lynch's whole thing is almost, and this is, this is sounds reductive, but it's almost just like pulling a Pleasantville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of like here's here's this like sort of shiny happy you know uh, apple pie sort of <laughs> you know Americana but like if you just peel back one layer of skin it's gross and weird and dark and fascinating. Yep. Yeah. Completely. My friends, my like people I know always tell me I'm incredibly American, and I think this is part of it. <laughs> I, I can see that. I, I I see what they're what I see what they're saying. You guys are selling me more on David Lynch as we discuss this, so congratulations on yes! working. Yes, success. Uh, oh, I still man. don't have a lot of interest in his uh, daily videos, though, because Brandon just plays them. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's Hello. okay. Like... Good morning. <laughs> that's, that, that, that is like, once you have been boiled like a frog, then you will be into his, da- his daily videos. It's really, you oh, know, totally. you'll, you'll get there. I promise you you're going to get there. You're going to get there. <laughs> To the point of like, yeah, to the point of liking Inland Empire, you're going to get there. Which context, if you since you have not seen it, Inland Empire is he literally did not have a script. It is entirely shot on really terrible VC like video cameras. Like mm-hmm. before, that was a good thing. It's a bad thing. All of the actors, like including Laura Dern, who can be relied upon to give everything David Lynch the, does the most positive spin possible, they were mm-hmm. like, I don't know what character I was playing. I'm looking forward to seeing the final movie to find <laughs> out. They got their lines like every morning. They were just like given lines and then they acted them. So like Inland Empire is weird as fuck. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a sketch video, so that kind of <laughs> sounds like all that is. Oh. I, I, love, I love that he fosters this environment where like his talent like his actors uh, and the people working with him are basically forced to go well your guess is as good as mine but i i'm you know i trust the man in charge so well but they also <laughs> we'll have to see. make their own decisions too right like in lost highway like god i can't remember which of the actors it was but he was just like use your creativity to figure out what your character looks like and the guy was like okay you know and it's like this is the kind of thing that actually a lot of actors like don't have in films like yeah. this you know what i mean that's not something that happens in films usually not in films of this like size you know not at all there's normally like nine meetings and then somebody tells you exactly what you're doing exactly exactly so i think that that must be very refreshing for anybody who actually wants to do that and like wants to be like let's just try some shit you know which i mean as much as we give like directors a lot of shit in general for being art fucks there are plenty of actors that are art fucks and like oh my live God. for shit like this and he, like, he really is good about – his whole crew is, like, capital A artists. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. You have to want to make an art film. Absolutely. Do you want to explain Hungarian goulash before we go? Oh, yeah. I probably I probably <laughs> should. For uh, So uh, I'm uh, 
musical director for a show called The Happy Sappy Grown Up Hour, which is a a kids show for adults. Uh, you know, it's horny Sesame Street, basically, <laughs> uh, created by my my good friend Nikki Urban. Um, and I've just been writing, you know, songs and stuff and sketches for this show for a couple of years. Um, we've recently transitioned into being a Twitch show, and it's just a film sketch show at this point. And in in the vein of a of a you know Sesame Street and stuff like that, we have these like little inter- interstitial videos that are just like, hey, you can learn something. Mm-hmm. But you know, so he started a series now. <laughs> Yeah, so I've done a series of, I first did uh, the ABCs with David Lynch, um, <laughs> and then I did uh, David Lynch reads today's lunch menu at Laura Dern Junior High in Altadena. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll send them to you. And, and um, on it, it, in it, he says that uh, Hungarian goulash is being played by Kyle MacLachlan. I made all of the uh, graphics for it for him in like a oh Twin Peaks font. <laughs> but the point is that like David Lynch's thing is so specific that he can like make a parody, like a child's parody oh, yeah. of yeah. it. Because like the thing he does is both so, like it's so broad in the like art fuck sense, but so specific <laughs> in his aesthetic. But oh, like yeah. you can make parodies like that. I think they're on YouTube. They they are. Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll tweet them out when we uh, when the show goes up. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, one of the one of the things he he reads one of the things on the lunch menu at Laura Dern Junior High in Altadena uh, is Hungarian goulash, which is also my nickname for Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah. Uh, and then I at the end, it. it has it has a card that says Hungarian goulash played by Kyle MacLachlan. Like over the shot of the like over the shot of the waterfall from the the opening of the return. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Flourish Clink, is there anything uh, about David Lynch that we haven't discussed that you would like to cover before we wrap up? You know, not really. Only that I really recommend that people, if you didn't, if you if you tried to get into David Lynch and you didn't like what you saw, try another David Lynch, and then you can give up if you've tried like two or three and you still hate him. I, I get it; he's not for everybody, but I really do think that there's like. I think he's, it's like, it's like, it's like when you're a kid and you're learning to eat, like, I don't know, uh, broccoli or something. And then eventually you really like broccoli when you're an adult, but you have to try it like a certain number of times before you decide you like it. And I really encourage people to like stick with that. You know? Your tastes change as you get older. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also like, you just have to like get used to it and figure out what it is, you know, like, cause it's strange and it's not just sugar or whatever. And you're like, what is that? It's like the first time you taste umami. You're like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's and going on? And then you're on? like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, yeah. I get this. All right. Exactly, exactly. And then it's great and you love it. So so that's what I would say is, is you know, let yourself be shaken out of your usual thing. And like, you don't have to stick with it if you truly hate it. But, but I think it's worth like the investment in trying. Well, there's the tagline. David Lynch, the umami of film. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Flourish, thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, on Thursday, October 27, 2020. It's, it's the 29th for one. You've said 27 twice now. <laughs> oh, I didn't correct you the first time. There, I mean, there... this isn't going up, you know, the day we record it, so I didn't correct you the first time either, but it is the 29th. <laughs> Yeah, th- we're we're recording this this episode in the hell week uh, leading up to the election. Yeah. It's true. So yeah. time time means nothing anymore. <laughs> you know what? Neither neither does, you know, a lot of other things, but we're not going to get into that right now. Oh, much time like nothing never would again. Oh my god. Much much like an episode of Twin Peaks the Return. It was a pleasure being on here with you guys. <laughs> Um, if people wanted to find more Flourish Clink related content on their internet, how could they do that? Uh, well, you can find my Twitter is Flourish. My Instagram is Flourish Clink. That's mostly like sewing stuff. No David Lynch there, really. Um, you also can find my podcast, which is fansplaining.com uh, or fansplaining on all social media. Um, we don't talk about David Lynch there ever, but um, we do talk about <laughs> interesting fan culture stuff. So, you know, go for it. Oh, hell yeah. Yes. Um, I can be found across the internet at Hell Yes Brandon on all of the all of the socials. Um, Happy Sappy Grown Up Hour, like I explained before, is the third Wednesday of every month. Um, I believe this episode will be dropping before our November show, where the theme. No, is... this will be after. We just ah. did it. If we dis- if we did it at all. <laughs> 
if we did a show at all, as we discussed in the last episode that we weren't sure if we were going to be doing, that it was last week. <laughs> Diane, turns out I was wrong. Um, I, I should have been just starting every sentence this entire episode with uh, by saying Diane. I, I messed up. We got to redo the episode, y'all. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, happy, happy grown-up hour. Uh Actually, Beth and I had a song in the most recent episode that uh, we co-wrote called Let's Talk About Politics This Christmas, uh, which we'll probably be putting up on YouTube or a SoundCloud or, or wherever uh, at some point soon. Technically, there's already a version of it on YouTube. That's that's true. But this is this. We finally did a, a studio version of it uh, for Happy Sappy. Um, you can find uh, Inkblot on YouTube and SoundCloud. We've got some live sets Uh our cover of a little drop of poison. We've we've finally started uh, uh, socially distanced rehearsals, which is nice. So you know, Inkblot is sort of you know uh, rising from its uh, quarantine induced slumber. Um, so that should be good. And uh, my EP hat on a hat should hopefully be out by the end of the year. Um, so yeah, I think that's all I have. Beth, what about you? Uh, yeah, uh, per usual, you can find me everywhere at, at uh, bscores, B-E-E-S-C-O-R-E-S with an underscore at the end. But the easiest way to find me is just to track me down through the podcast. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at, at IntuitPod, uh, and you can follow the hashtag IntuitPod on Instagram if you want updates whenever we have new episodes. Or you can just make sure that you are subscribed to our show on uh, whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. If you find a platform we're not on, hit me up and let me know and I'll find a way to get us on there. Um, that's that's about all I got other than uh, thank you as always to Tiny West. Uh, ooh, nope. <laughs> This Tiny is what West. When we record in the morning. All right. Uh, thank isn't, you. Isn't always... that Kanye and Kim's kid? No. Uh... <laughs> uh, no, her name is North because they're even stupider. Um, <laughs> thank you as always to Kellen West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting over is a lot like giving up off the album. Falling is like flying. That is all I've got. Well, uh, Flourish, this was uh, a, an absolute blast. Um, and probably the most we've talked about a single art weirdo yeah. uh, over the course of an episode. <laughs> yeah! Yeah. Uh, He's been so excited. He's been so excited. I, I really, I really have. I've, I've been very excited. but And also because I knew you had seen uh, American Utopia. Oh, so yeah. I was excited to be able to, to uh, nerd out about both of our uh, our weird old uh, our weird old crushes. Love, love my weird old crushes. <laughs> love them. All right. Well, all that being said... Good morning. It's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Good Today, I'm thinking about the fact that we just did a podcast oh, about Goodbye. David Lynch end of the episode. for an Goodbye. hour and eight minutes. Uh, Goodbye. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, just why? Goodbye. Podcast over. Why are we doing bits at the end of the episode now? Podcast over. Podcast over.